Well, good morning, friends. My name is Steve Noble. I serve on the family ministry team here at the church, working primarily with middle school students, and I have the privilege of sharing uh, a message from God's word with you. Before we get into that, though, can we, will, will you join me in a word of prayer? God, we invite you into this space. God, we invite you to challenge us anew. We invite you to help us know and understand our own areas of brokenness. God, help us to come to terms with that. And to know despite that, you are with us, you are for us, you will use us. Help us to cling to that today. In Jesus' name we pray together, amen. Well, as you know, as you can see, uh, today we're gonna be continuing our At The Movies series, which means again, this morning we're gonna talk about uh, a film, and we're gonna encourage you to go home and watch it with your families, and just an aside, I know there's kids in the room, um, the Don Waltz documentary is reasonably tame in subject matter, but it's not rated like a normal movie is. There's a little bit of language, so just parents store that away if you're gonna go watch it with your little ones. Um, but, but our hope in all of this, with this whole series, has been that you might, as we do, see a little bit of God in these movies, we hope this film, as imperfect as it is, might color your understanding of what it means for us to live in the kingdom of God. We hope through these conversations we're having here and through the conversations you have at home that you'll be encouraged for the journey ahead of you. As a worship team, we've, we've relied completely on the understanding as we've marched through this series, completely on the understanding that God is moving and working in more ways than we are often aware of. There's an old saying that says that any given point, God is doing about 10,000 things in our lives and we might be aware of three of them. I think that's probably true. But I'd like this morning to suggest a related statement that I think is also true, that at any given point, God is trying to speak 10,000 things to us. He's trying to tell us 10,000 things, and we're only paying attention to a few of them. We believe that God speaks truth to his people in a lot of different ways, so today we're going to see what we can learn about life in the kingdom of God from a documentary about rock climbing. We'll see how it goes. The Dawn Wall is a true story that chronicles Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen's historic first ascent of the Dawn Wall route on Yosemite's El Capitan. It's the story of two professional climbers who overcome personal and physical hardship and tragedy as they succeed in doing something that most everyone in their industry had dismissed as impossible. You see, El Capitan itself, it's 3,000 feet high. It's taller than the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. If you stacked the Willis Tower on top of itself twice and then put our church on top of that, it wouldn't quite reach the top of El Cap. In layman's terms, we say it's a really, really, really big rock. But El Cap itself has been climbed before. There are a few routes up the 3,000-foot face that are climbed semi-often. Some of them are even reasonably straightforward if you're a world-class 
big wall rock climber, which I am not. But there's this one portion of the rock wall right off the nose of the cliff, this slim little section that catches the first light of morning as, it, as the sun comes up over the Yosemite Valley, the so-called dawn wall that has never been climbed before. It had never been attempted. It had never really been thought about. It was impossible. The dawn wall has no clear route up it, no minimal hand or footholds. There are these small sections of semi-climbable rock, and then between it, just nothing. Huge expanses of countertop smooth wind, polished granite. It could not be done. But, and spoilers, I'm sorry, but with six years of planning... An immense force of will, probably a bit of luck with the eyes of the world on them. After 19 days on the wall, sleeping in beds suspended thousands of feet above the floor of the Yosemite Valley, Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen reached the top of the Dawn Wall, and they joined the fabled ranks of those who have stretched our understanding of what is humanly possible. And in achieving this dream of their own and conquering the unconquerable in this story of, of struggle and perseverance, we find for ourselves uh, a model for our own growth. As he does, God speaks truth and wisdom to his people, even if the vehicle of that teaching is imperfect, even if the people he is speaking through are unaware of the full measure of what our almighty God is doing. There are four things, four truths that I think we, God's people in this room, need to cling to as we reflect on the story of adventure in this film. First is that God uses the broken. God uses the broken. The Dawn Wall opens by giving us a glimpse into Tommy Caldwell's own challenging past. As a young man on a professional climbing excursion in Kyrgyzstan, Caldwell and a group of his friends are taken hostage by a terrorist organization. They were held for weeks and they only find freedom after Caldwell himself pushes one of their captors off a cliff. And that's what opens the door for escape. Understandably, the guilt from that incident would haunt him for the rest of his life. A few years later, widely accepted at the time as perhaps the greatest climber of his generation, Tommy Caldwell loses an index finger in a woodworking accident. As a rock climber, it's an injury that should probably have ended his career, but it didn't. He persevered. He fights through, and he finds this new strength despite his brokenness. In Exodus 3... We see God approach a middle-aged shepherd named Moses with an audacious plan. God wants this man, Moses, to lead his enslaved nation to freedom. God says to Moses, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says to Moses, now go, I am sending you. And Moses replies in a way that has made him a punchline for preachers like me for like all time, but in a way that I think shows incredible humanity as he says, who am I to do this? 
And so God presses him. He gives him assurance after assurance. I will be with you. I will be with you. I give you the strength. I will give you the words. I give you authority. And five times Moses refuses God, ultimately saying a line that that will live in biblical infamy. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. You see, Moses was painfully aware of his own brokenness. He was painfully aware of his own unworthiness. He was a murderer. He had spent 40 years trying to flee the consequences of his actions. He'd spent 40 years daily being reminded of his own insignificance. This was a man who had once walked the halls in the palace at the center of the most powerful kingdom on earth of his day. And now he spends his days outside with sheep. Moses was broken. And so when he hears the call of God to do the extraordinary, his first reflex is not to trust the might of the God who is doing the calling. Instead, he doubts himself. He doubts that God could use anyone as insignificant as him. And now it's easy for us with the benefit of foresight to scoff at Moses' lack of faith, but how often do we do the same? We hear God's call to go and preach the, the gospel in all the world. His call to fight injustice with every fiber of our being. God calls us to invest not in safe bets, but to invest in the poor, in the marginalized, in the broken. We hear that call and we, like Moses, think, who am I to do that? We say, who, me? Personally, I've been convicted recently of the reality that there are groups of people within our communities, within our community here, who don't have the same opportunities that I've had in life. I'm convinced there's a lot of racial healing that needs to be done in our country. That we very much have not healed from the wounds of slavery and segregation. And I feel this immense call to fight the systemic injustices that our brothers and sisters of color face but I'm just a 31-year-old white kid from the suburbs of Southern California. I don't feel up to that call. It's daunting to me. I think a lot of us hear God's mighty call to do great things, to do the impossible, to bring his kingdom to bear in our broken world, and we, like Moses, struggle to feel like we're up to the task. But something that's true, something that we need to be reminded of again and again and and again is that God uses the broken to do incredible things. He wants to use us broken people to do things that are simply bigger than what we could do on our own. Moses felt too small for the task ahead of him, but as we know, we've heard his name before God used him to do incredible things. Paul was a murderer, Matthew corrupt, Peter a failure. If you haven't heard their stories in the New Testament, read them. God used them to literally change the world even though they probably weren't up to the task. Tommy Caldwell was in many ways broken, physically, uh, emotionally, but still he was able to accomplish something incredible. We too are broken. We feel the weight, the burden of our own brokenness. 
and still God wants to use us to change the world, the question becomes, are we willing to answer that call? The second thing I think we have to learn from this movie is the importance of rest. As you can imagine, after climbing for 19 days, these guys' bodies were struggling to cope with the physical toll of climbing so much, so consistently. Their hands are are raw and bloody, and so they stop. They just stop on the wall. They hang out and wait. They wait for their bodies to heal, and then they go again. And there's this line in the film that I think is pure wisdom. It's a single piece of truth that cuts through the chorus of lies that that we come to believe as we fight our own way to the top of our own challenges. One of the climbers says, if I don't stop and let my hands rest, if I don't let them heal, there's no way I'm going to make it. And so they do. They stop and rest. And because they have the wisdom to rest, they have the strength to make it to the top. How different would our world be if we had the wisdom to do likewise? If we were willing to have the humility to acknowledge we are not God, we need to rest. We are made to rest, and though we like to ignore this, we are commanded to rest. When God gives Moses the law at Mount Sinai, written along all the other thou shalts and thou shalt nots is this commandment to keep Sabbath. Sabbath is one of those words that's been twisted past the point of recognition where it almost means nothing. It's just the day Chick-fil-A is closed. And we, and we can't stop on the way from the, from the swim meet to the soccer games, right? But of course it's something more than that. Sabbath is having the self-awareness to stop on our way up the mountain so that we can make it to the top. Scott Cormode, who's a friend of ours from Fuller Seminary, um, defines Sabbath as a healthy rhythm of labor and rest. It's a healthy rhythm of meaningful labor and rejuvenating rest. And when that rhythm is out of whack, when we live in a way that we aren't meant to, there can be genuine physical consequences, right? We've seen this. If we have too much rest in the equation, we don't get off the ground. We don't live the life we're called to. But I don't think too many of us are in that camp. I think too many of us in this room have an unhealthy rhythm of too much labor and not enough rest, or too much labor and unhealthy rest. And when we have too much labor in the equation, we burn ourselves out. We won't make it. We can't make it to the top of the proverbial cliff. Our bodies, our minds will give out. I don't think I'm overstating that. The World Health Organization recently added work-related burnout to a list of diagnosable medical conditions. A recent survey from the Corn Ferry Research Organization indicates that employee stress levels have risen 20% in the last three decades. That's since the 90s. Another survey suggests that 94% of American workers feel stress in the workplace and that a third of those, a third of those surveyed would indicate that their stress levels are either high or unsustainably high. When did we start wearing our busyness as a badge of honor? Because it's hurting us. 
When did we start believing this, this untruth that says those who are overscheduled are somehow more important because it's hurting us? Friends, we're damaging ourselves. As someone who spends a lot of time with young people, I can tell you pretty positively, we're damaging our children. Those stats I just shared, those hit pretty close to home. Our kids are stressed out. A lot of our middle schoolers and high schoolers articulate this. They're nearing that point of burnout because they're overscheduled, just like we're overscheduled. But we don't have to live that way. There's a solution to all of this. Hebrews 4 says this, says there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And then it goes on and gives us this prescription. This is how we're called to live. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. God wants us to rest. He has provided a rest for us. We just need to make the effort. We need to be intentional to enter that rest. Jesus says to us, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Dallas Willard says the best, things that, the best thing that we can do for the health of our souls is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, busyness from our lives. We are commanded by our God to find a healthy rhythm of labor and rest. We are commanded by God to pause on our way up the mountain, not just cause. It's so that we can let our bodies, our minds, our souls recover. If we don't, we will not make it to the top. If we don't, our lives won't look like they should look. If we don't, God won't be able to accomplish in us all that he has for us. We need to rest. Friends, I, I share this with you not as someone who has this figured out. I do not do this well. And, and so my hope is, is that, that we as a community, we can take a stand together, that we can, we can take this challenge on together. We can hold each other accountable to rest in the Lord and trust that God will heal us for the journey ahead. The third lesson I hope we learned from the Don Wall is that accomplishments are a lot more meaningful when they're done together. In rock climbing, the hardest part of every climb is known as the crux. Every route has a pinch point, a maneuver, or series of maneuvers that take a little something extra. It's in these points that you really need a partner. You need to rely on that guy or gal who's holding the other end of the rope. You need to rely on their guidance, their wisdom, to help you see the foothold that you might not have seen or the handhold you've overlooked because you're just too close to the situation. The Don, Wall is, the Don Wall route is separated into 31 individual sections or pitches, each roughly the distance of one length of rope. Pitch 15 is the crux of that route. The whole route is insanely hard. 
But success hinges on this 15th section right in the middle. It's the reason it's dismissed as unclimbable. In six years of training and preparation, uh, Tommy and Kevin, these two guys, these two heroes from the movie, they've tried every section of the wall. They've never made it across pitch 15. Hundreds of times, they've never made it across. They fall every time. So the whole expedition hinges on them being able to do this, and it's kind of a question mark. Incredibly, Tommy makes it through on his first time, his first try on this final ascent, but his buddy doesn't. Kevin struggles. For days, Kevin languishes on the wall. He falls again and again and again at the same point, and so the expedition is forced to wait. They just stop. Eventually, Tommy begins to tackle higher and higher sections of the wall, trusting that Kevin will catch up when he finally conquers pitch 15, but there comes a point where the hard reality sets in that Kevin might not make it. Tommy may have to go on alone, and so we see Caldwell moving on. He goes higher and higher up the cliff, and it begins to look like one climber's gonna make it and one is not. After six years of planning together, six years of training together, the plan was always to finish together. But now two weeks on the wall, one guy is stuck, and Tommy Caldwell is a couple days from being the first person to complete the hardest free climb in the world. If he stops and waits, if he goes back down, the hard reality is is that he might not have the physical energy to complete it. The weather can change. A lot of things can go wrong and force them off the wall. So if he stops and waits, the hard reality is is that he might not make it himself. Kevin encourages him to go on alone. He doesn't want to be the one who slows Tommy down. The producers and videographers who, of course, in a rock climbing documentary are on the wall with them, start planning how to rewrite the narrative, the reporters following their progress expect this to happen because there's no guarantee that Kevin's ever gonna complete this small section. It's excruciating, but it's just how it is. But Tommy does something unexpected. He stops, he goes back down. He decides to wait for his friend and in his words, go into full support mode for as long as it takes. Because accomplishments mean a whole lot more when they're completed together. Community is a funny thing. It's pretty easy to be united when we need each other. And it's pretty easy to bear with one another when things are going well. I think it's even reasonably easy to hold things together when things are hard. When someone's facing some sort of crisis, tragedy, though awful, often brings people together. And that's why for most of our lives, this image that Jesus gives of the church as the body of Christ is so relatable. We resonate with this truth that we all bring our own unique gifts and talents to the table and that together we're able to do something that's just bigger than what we could do alone. We're better together, right? That's true. Where I think that we struggle where I think we as a church need to learn a little bit from Tommy Caldwell's example is when people start to slow us down. Because for some reason we're fine when things are good and we're fine when people are struggling for a time, but if you're gonna slow me down, if you're gonna stop me from going 
where I want to go or getting where I want to go or achieving something or experiencing what I deserve in life, I'm expected to leave you behind. It's this cultural norm because we live in a ladder-climbing society, kind of. We'll bear with one another as long as we can, but only to a point because climbing the ladder, achieving our dreams, finding our own personal satisfaction, that feels more important. It's become this primary goal that we put in front of ourselves, and we certainly put it in front of our young people. How many times have we heard someone tell a kid, you deserve this? Don't let anyone get in the way of you achieving your dreams. We teach our kids sometimes with words, sometimes with actions, that if they can only achieve to a certain level, if they can accomplish all they want to accomplish in life, then they will finally experience the satisfaction that their soul desires. We teach our kids that because a lot of us have come to believe it. We hold this idea of personal satisfaction and fulfillment in front of ourselves as this ultimate goal. It's something that supersedes all else, and usually the casualties of our dash to the top are relationships. We leave behind all the people who have slowed us down, who held us up. It's not personal, it's business, right? They'll understand. But as Tommy Caldwell wisely realizes, the top is not so special when you're there alone. Jim Carrey famously said at the height of his celebrity, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Because despite the conventional wisdom of our day, success, and I don't care what field you are in, whatever getting to the top in your world looks like, that will not ultimately lead to fulfillment. Really, really, we will only find that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And when we do reach the top without all the wonderful people that God has placed in our lives, I think that we'll find that place uniquely lonely. And so I think it's time to change the goal. I think it's time to change our way of thinking and living. It's time to change the way that we talk about things because because only we're going to find that in Jesus. Let's become a people who humbly consider the needs of others before our own, foregoing even success. That's in the Bible, by the way. Humbly consider the needs of others before our own. Let's make this a community uh, where we follow the Apostle Paul's instructions that he shares in Ephesians 4. He says there, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are called to to be completely humble and gentle. We're called to be patient, bearing with one another in love, and that's different from just climbing a ladder. We're not made to do life alone. Don't get me wrong, achievement itself is not bad, but it cannot come before our community. Achievement cannot come before our families. Achievement certainly can't come before, can't come in place of us being the people that God has called us to be. Our call is to bear with one another in love. 
Let's be a community of people who go back down the mountain. Let's be a community of people who go into full support mode for as long as it takes because achievement means so much more when it's done together. Fourth and final thing I think we as followers of Jesus Christ need to be reminded of from this film is this simple truth that we are capable of so much more than we realize. It's the tagline of the film. It's an obvious point in a story of human strength and perseverance, but it's a truth that I think we as the church need to cling to with unique zeal because our call to follow Jesus is so significant. I've shared this. I, I spend a lot of time with kids. And one of the great joys for me working with your kids is helping them to push the boundaries of what they think they can do. I got to help them to realize they're stronger, they're more resilient than they think they are. And even when we are weak, we have a God who is infinitely strong, who is able to do more than we can hope or even imagine or even think to ask him to do. And the Bible says that, when, that, that not only is our God strong, but we have a God who is infinitely personal, who cares about us as individuals, who cares to use us for his good purposes. He wants to use us to change this world, to bring his kingdom more and more and more into a reality. I love teaching kids that. And I think our kids get this message kind of a lot. I think there's a lot of people in your kids' lives who are helping, helping them to realize that they can do great things, and they can. But I think somewhere along the way, those reminders start to slow down. We lose some of those voices in our lives. So today, I'm here to remind you of that honest truth, that God wants to use you to do incredible things. God wants to use you to change the world. And it's not even up to us to be strong enough for whatever task is at hand. We talked earlier about how God uses broken people like us, and he knows that we're broken. This is just the continuation of that thought. God wants to use us broken people to shake the foundation of what is expected in this world. He wants to use us to be beacons of justice and hope in the midst of the darkness in our world. And he will give us the strength that we need to do so. In Ephesians, it says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created to do incredible things and God's already prepared them for us. In the book of Esther, in a challenging time in history, someone tells her that she was perhaps created for such a time as that. And we hear that and we think, wow, that's beautiful. Good for Esther. Go, let's go. But the truth is, is that you were created for such a time as this. We look at wall, around the world around us and we see this brokenness and this division and this pain. And the reality is, is that you, we were created for this time. God created us at this point in history for a purpose to do significant things. You were created for such a time as this. 
In Philippians, Paul reminds us that it's not even us who works, but it is God who works in us. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. It's not even us who's doing it. It is God who is working through us. Jesus himself, talking about the fruit that we can bear in our lives, he says, all you need to do to bear fruit in your lives is to stay connected to me. He says, stay connected to me and you will bear fruit in your lives. Friends, you were made to do incredible things. You are stronger than you realize, not because of anything that we in this room possess on our own, but because of the God who is at work in us. You were made to do incredible things. Cling to that. Hold tight to that. Know that it's true. And go into the world with courage. As we close today, I'd like to leave you with a prayer that Paul shares in Ephesians 3 as he prays for the church in Ephesus. I share these words because I find them to be incredibly poignant as we consider the reality that God wants to use us to change the world. As you receive this prayer, hear this knowing that this is the God who loves you. This is the God who fights for you. This is the God who longs to use you to change the world. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask, according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, it's been a joy to be with you this morning. If, if God is challenging you in any way, um, our worship team has put together these little cards. They have a little bit of information about the movie and kind of some of the, the things that we've talked about today. The coolest thing, I think, is there's this prayer on the back. Grab one of these. Just throw it on a mirror or in your car somewhere where you're going to see it. Read through this this week and be reminded that God is for you. Thank you, guys.